Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Okay, so today is super, super special for me because I get to finally interview Kate Owens, who, by the way, she was one of the first people to ever take some of my leadership masterminds. She's a fellow salon owner. She's been um, a guest artist in my school in Fort Myers, Florida. So first and foremost, thank you, Kate Owens, for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much, (laughs) Tina, for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know, the first time I met you, I was like, I love this woman. And you know why? Because I love your energy. I love your energy. I'm so attracted to people with a lot of energy. And that's one thing that you've always had. And and so, of course, we've kind of gone uh, different directions for quite a few years because I'm in Michigan. And of course, you're in Florida. And then you had a lot of challenges um, come at you over the past few years. And I've seen bits and pieces on social media, but never really knew until you connected with me on your nonprofit. And so my B-Series podcast, mainly I have a lot of people that you know started nonprofits because I believe the best leaders in this world are people who are nonprofit founders. And why? Because you get people to do things actually for you for free. I pay people. So that's you know that's not a leadership quality at all. <laughs> so you can always tell when someone has a lot of influence when they're able to you know really lead in that realm. So Kate Owens has been a hairstylist for 23 years years. She's been a salon owner for almost 13 years. And uh, she started a nonprofit called the Century Safe Salon. And and you're going to find out why here in a moment. But first and foremost, Kate, I'd love to hear your story. Like, how did you even get into the hair industry? What's that story all about? Um, I came down to Florida on vacation. And my auntie had become a barber. And she said, honey, why don't you become a hairdresser and come work with me in Florida? So I flew back to Massachusetts. I got off the plane and drove to the hair school and quit my jobs. And I was a single mom. I was a young mom and I quit my jobs and went to hair school and my family went nuts. They all were like, did you tell her to do we didn't. And she said, I didn't know she was going to do it right away when she got off the plane. And I'll tell you, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. A single mom, how in the world did you, were you able to make that work? Cause you know, as you know, I'm a, a cosmetology school owner. And so many times, a lot of times uh, single moms are afraid to even, you know, join our program. So how, how did you even make that work? I was more afraid to stay in the dead end job I was in Mm. that I was willing to be afraid to make a change. And I just did it. And I was lucky enough that I have a great support system. I have a really um, big supportive family and they helped me, but it was tough. I, and that's why I have a lot of heart for hair school students, because I will never forget what it was like going to school nine to five, leaving school, 
um, dinner waitressing. And then I would bartend at the club after I dinner waitressed. And then Saturday, Sunday, I would do breakfast and lunch, dinner shift, and then work at bartending at the club after. And I've never worked that hard in my life. Yeah, you made it work. There was no such thing as balance in that moment, which I'll tell my students in the beginning when you're first in this, you know, you're not going to feel like you have any balance, you know, it's called the law of sacrifice. So talk about that, you know, being sacrificial, so to speak, to, to a life, right? So basically, it was just survival. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do to survive? There was, there was two choices. One, do it. Not I remember during that time, I went without a day off for four months. And it's just what you had, what I had to do. It was do that or quit and be a waitress for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I wasn't willing Mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. I love that you said that for you being a waitress was a dead end job, right? For some people, it might be a career, but for you, and so you were courageous enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to chase the money. I'm going to chase what I think is passion. So kind of talk through that process, because I almost think I'm already going to call this be courageous, because I think everything you've done from day one, you've had so much courage. First of all, where did that come from? A, and then B, you know, talk to that mom, because I have to tell you so many times I'll talk to students and they're just like, how do I get past the fact that I'm leaving them to go to school to trace my passion? How do I, how do I chase that? Right. So I will tell you that my older son, Bobby, that, you know, mm-hmm. now a barbershop owner at 24. Um, you know, he sacrificed with me. He did. And yeah. he'll tell his younger brothers, she, she was working. And I will tell you, there are things I missed and I sacrificed, but from the time, you know, once he got a little older, I got my business. I got my feet on the ground. I, grew my shop. I was able to take him on vacation. Um, his brother's on vacation. My mother, I would say, auntie, come on, you come on. And I would look around and I would say, Hey, Bobby, is it worth it now? How about look at what your brothers have. You like going on vacation? Look worth it now. And he'll always tell me, yeah, ma, it was worth it. And he has that work ethic that I had, because that's what he watched. Yeah. That's what he watched. Blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. I got the chills on that right now, because I think right now we're seeing a maybe um, a culture. I, I don't even want to say a generation, but a culture right now of that lack of worth ethic of people saying, I just want to be on vacation. And I'm thinking, what are you going to be on vacation with? You know, what kind of vacation <laughs> You know, and so I love what you said he sacrificed with you. And I remember, you know, my book be amazing. I remember my son said this and I wrote this in the book and he said, I watched my mom get up early, go to work. She did everything possible to be, you know, who she is today. 
and I knew the standard. I knew the standard. And so that's what I feel like with Bobby and your kids, like now they know the standard. So how do you teach by example, by example, by example? And here you are as a mom, a courageous single mom, right? Making it happen. I've watched a lot of single moms actually uh, have children that have stronger worth ethic than I've seen with non-single moms. <laughs> so, so I kind of talked through that process and what was it like for you to raise and how many children do you have now? Yeah. So it's always been a challenge and, you know, Tina, you taught me that when you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Mm-hmm. And it always had to be, I had to weigh it like, yeah. all right, no, I can't be there because I have to say yes to my business so I can feed you guys. You know, I see something bigger for us. I see, I would say yes to my business and no to things because I see a future where we won't have to borrow money for our electric bill. Mm. I know it's there. Mm. And I was, I was just willing to make that sacrifice. And, you know, it always has been a juggle having so many kids. I have so many. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just a lot, a lot. (laughs) So I've raised five boys, three biological, two stepsons. And then um, there was a young man that came to live with us from freshman year to senior year. So there was six total at one point in my house, six boys. Wow. So I'll tell you, Tina, it's easy to go to work when you have that many boys in your house. I was like, bye. Yeah. (laughs) My house was like a frat house, a locker room. And I had to work to feed them anyway. So it was cool. That's amazing. I love it. Oh my gosh. Uh, Okay. So then, so you, you become a hairstylist. So how long were you a hairstylist before you actually purchased your own salon? And why did you decide to open a salon? Okay. So I was a stylist for 10 years and I had moved down to Florida and I worked at my auntie's barbershop and I'll be really transparent. We did the best not killing each other Mm -hmm. and I wasn't very grown up. I was in my twenties. So we'd probably still be together if I wasn't 20 and knew everything. Um, so I went to work for some other people and I got really, I was renting from this woman and I got really sick. I had a migraine and I went to the ER and they said, you know, it's just a headache, go home. And I laid in bed for like two days and my family brought me back and they said, she's not getting better. Can you please help her? And they said, we want to do a spinal tap. And of course I was like, no, I'm leaving. Mm. They were like, no, you need to have this done. We need to find out what's wrong with you. So they did a spinal tap and I had meningitis. And um, I was in the hospital for about 12 days. And they said, you know, you might want to call. I remember hearing this in my hospital bed. It's like those moments of clarity that are burned into your heart forever. 
I remember laying in the bed and hearing the doctor talk to my mother and say, you need to call your people to come in and say goodbye. And I was like, what? I remember thinking in my head, what? Am I not making it out of this crappy hospital? Is this it? And I remember being scared and I, I woke up and it, you know, people may think this is weird. People can think whatever they want about how this went down, but I, um, was alone in the room when I woke up and I crawled with my IV pole mm. into the shower and I turned it on and I was sitting on the floor of the shower and I was screaming. I was screaming <clears throat> and I, I begged God and I said, just let me live. Please let me live. You won't be, you won't be disappointed. I promise I will do good. Just please. Cause I couldn't imagine not like hugging my kids again and like squeezing them so tight and kissing them on their neck and oh, squeezing them. I couldn't imagine never being able to do that again. I couldn't imagine like this was what I did with my life. Like that was it. That's it. No, no, I can't. And I, um, I, I, I felt bad because when I got out of the shower and got back into my hospital bed, my pastor's business card was on the table. Oh, wow. And I called him and I was like, Pastor Ross, yo, I am so sorry that you had to hear that. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, did you hear me screaming in the shower? And he's like, no, Kate, I was there praying over you while you were sleeping. Wow. And I was released from the hospital 48 hours later. Wow. Wow. And they said it's going to take six weeks to recover. And by week four, the doors were open to Kate's cuts. Wow. You know why? The fear was gone, Tina. Oh, the fear was gone because I no longer was afraid, like, am I going to fail? The only fear I had was, am I not going to do enough before I die? Mm. I want to make sure that I try everything I'm supposed to do and like be who I spo I'm supposed to be before I go. I am not wasting a moment being like, oh my gosh, what if I fail? No. Oh my gosh. What if I die and don't get to do all the things I wanted to do? Yeah. What if I don't get to live the life of my dreams? So, hey, let's go. <laughs> of course you did. Oh my God. This is so incredible because I, you know, one of the classes that I teach from my book is all about that. Like, what if you had one month to live? What would you do differently? And it's, it's like, we almost need that slap in the faith and what a gift that you received Kate and what a miracle 
that you're still alive because most people don't make it through that, you know? And so just the pastor praying, like the power of prayer, first of all, and you felt that you knew that at that point and just that you were fighting for your life. And, you know, and, and so how many times do you just like get mad at something and like, you're just complaining, you know, moaning, like I always say, you can't moan and whine at the same time, you know, as a leader. And so, but you just started praying, you know, Mm -hmm. even last night I was, uh, I somehow, some way there was like a train in my ears and I'm like, what is going on? And, and I couldn't get rid of it. I was just like begging God to get rid of it. I'm like, I have to do this interview with Kate. That's all I kept thinking about because I knew this had to happen. And I woke up this morning, I was begging God all night, literally. And I woke up this morning and my ears were clear and I was just like, thank you, God. And so I was just like smiling from ear to ear. And but sometimes we need those moments. We could curse those moments or we can bless those moments at the same time. And, and so how were you actually able to do that in your life, Kate? And so let's, let's uh, fast forward. Uh, to your son being mm. born that was born with autism. Tell that story. So he was supposed to be the perfect baby, Tina. He wow. was supposed to be, not that they all aren't perfect, but this was my planned. This was my last baby. This was planned. This was perfection. And he is without a doubt. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly the way he is. And we were meant to be together without a doubt. So he um, was born on time. He was born healthy. He was born fat and happy. He was my biggest baby. He was um, hitting milestones. He was, everything was great. But I felt there was something different about him. And I would say like, do you do you think there's something and everybody said no 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 he's fine and as soon as he could sit up he was rocking Mm. and he did have some language he could say mama dada and then um around 18 months it was gone and none of his language was functional And I kept saying, it's one of three things. And I said, one, I'm crazy, because that's what everybody would say. Um, My ex-husband said I was crazy. My mom said I was crazy. The preschool said I was crazy. The pediatrician, Tina, said I was crazy. They, They all said there is nothing wrong with your baby. Um, And I hoped I was. Then my second thought was that he's possessed. I know that's crazy to say, but I couldn't figure out why this child was miserable from the time he opened his eyes till the time he closed them, he was in agony Mm. within himself. Um, there was no soothing him. There was no talking to him. It was just agony that he was in. Um, or the third thing was what I knew it was. It was autism. 
and it was not, you know, uh, mild. When I finally begged the right way to get these doctors to do the testing, mm. um, I remember waiting for them to give me the results and rationalizing with my with myself. Like, if he's going to have it, maybe it'll be mild. Maybe it's something else. Um, you know, I really just kept trying to figure anything else out. And they said, Miss um, <clears throat> Owens, will you please sit down? And I was like, okay. And they said, your son is um, right under severe. It's moderate high. This is how they rated it years ago. They don't rate it like this anymore. Um, zero being least autism, none. 10 being the most severe. They said, your son's a seven. He's considered disabled for the rest of his life. And I thought it was over, Tina. I thought it was over. I have never, you know, we don't have any neurological disabilities in our family. Uh, I haven't been around it. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what my life looks like. What's next? How, what do I even do? And I felt like the world had come out from under me. I really did. I really did. Um, I, you know, this is another one of those moments I called my dad and he had said, I was crying so hard. And he said, okay, Kate, I want you to dry your tears so you can hear me. And I said, all right, yes, sir. And I thought he was going to be sweet to me because he's a hockey, he was a hockey coach. So he's not typically sweet or like, so I was like, oh, here it is. And he said, I want you to find the nearest cancer ward. And I want you to find the sickest kid. And I want you to see if that mom will trade places with you for autism. And I was like, ah, you're such a jerk. And he said, I'm not done then I want you to go to the cemetery and see if there's a mother there that will trade with you for autism. And Tina, I hung up on him. I thought, you, that is awful. And now, six years later, I cannot tell you how many times I have held to that on the worst day with autism, the worst, the worst, would I trade it for a sick child? Absolutely not. Would I trade it for a child that's not with me? Absolutely not. And even, you know, I got to tell you, this journey has not been easy, but I would not trade it for anything. Mm. Anything. I would not. So, once I got over the shock of the diagnosis and I got through beating myself up, what did I do? What did I do to cause this? I had, I, rem I distinctly remember it was like three o'clock in the morning. And I said, I can't keep going. I can't keep doing this to myself. What does it matter? How it happened, why it happened. What matters is what am I going to do? Yeah. 
and boom, that was where everything changed. Wow. Yeah. So I want to back up because part of that being courageous is also having people in your life that are going to speak the truth to you. Yeah. Right. And that was your dad for you. Like how amazing is that? That what a gift to have a dad to tell you that it's like, sometimes we just need that slap across the head. You know? yeah. How, how powerful was that for you? I mean, I, I mean, I know like in the time and, and when I'm coaching people at, at the time, and when my team members are coaching some of our students or our staff members at the time, then they're not talking to them or they quit. And they're like, you know what? I, I just don't, but then later, so how long did it take for you to kind of to realize he was right? And what advice do you give someone right now to seek out to get someone to speak truth to them in their circumstances instead of speaking what they want to hear, so to speak, as, as the victim of their circumstances? So I knew he was right the moment I saw the smallest glimmer of hope. Wow. That's when I knew. And that line, I have, and yes. I'll tell you, it takes courage, but I've said it to newly diagnosed families when they're in wow. the valley. Wow. I've said that, and they've probably wanted to slap me. Mm -hmm. But I pray that they get the glimmer of hope. And no, this is not the end. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. This is not the end. This is only the beginning. Hey, family of the newly diagnosed. Yeah. This is just the beginning. No, it's not going to look like what you thought it was. The plans and dreams you had for your child need to be different. They will be just as beautiful. The victories are going to be just as sweet, if not sweeter, because your baby and you guys are going to have to fight a little harder for them. Mm. This is this is exactly how it's supposed to be, and it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. That's it's what a, they need to I know. I could also call this be a fighter. <laughs> But you have to be courageous to be a fighter, right? And can you talk about, first of all, the worst day that it is to have a son with autism? And then where where did you get, what was the hope that you received? I know this is a lot for you as no, well. I love it. I, I know I want to take you into um, also see where I know you kept fighting for him and didn't like accept what the doctors were saying, but yet you listened to the right coach, so to speak, that said, no, 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 he can have more and be more than what some of the doctors were saying as well, too. So you fought for him. I, from the, even before diagnosis, Tina, it was a fight. It was yeah. a fight even before diagnosis. Um, the worst day of autism and this is this is raw and this is real um Waylon is I'm sorry Waylon was highly aggressive and as you know Tina 
my boys are not wilting flowers. Mm -hmm. My boys are big corn fed mm -hmm. <laughs> giants. Um, so Wayland's highly aggressive. That's part of autism is some individuals are aggressive and um, I am his person. So he would attack me. Even if someone else upset him, something else upset him, he would attack me. So the worst days with autism looked like being attacked all day, all day. Um, scratches on my face, scratches, bites, bruises all down my arms, um, scratches on my legs. I would have to come to work with long sleeves, long pants. Um, my windshield kicked out of my car, windows broken, TVs broken. And, you know, trying to, to love this little person and hug them and them can't even take it. And I felt like at one time, what it must feel like to be a battered woman but I couldn't leave because I can't ever leave my baby. I can't ever. So that's what the worst day looks like. Constant screaming, constant attacks. Um, and you can't, you can't leave. If you have a support system, we would tap out. We would do, I do an hour of being beat up and, you know, blocking and, um, you know, trying to stand in front of the TV. So that didn't get broken. And then I would tap in, you know, my husband, he'd do an hour, we'd tap in my mother, and then we'd just rotate through until he got calm. And it would be six hours, eight hours, 10 hours. But I'll tell you, Tina, it's been a long time since it's been like that. A long time. And, you know, if there's a family that's going through that now, it will not be like that forever. You just have to be brave enough to follow directions mm. of people that know more than you. And that, you know, who did I listen to, Tina? Um, the doctor gave me these referrals and uh, for behavior therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy. So I would call these places and say, okay. Um, we got these referrals. My son needs help. I don't know what these, you know, services are or what they're going to do, but they said we need them. So they said, sure. Uh, the wait list is six months. The wait list is a year. And I'm thinking, are y'all crazy? Everything I'm reading says that early intervention is key that I have between age two and five to like remold little guy's brain mm. I don't have a year he's already three we just got the diagnosis I have two years I don't have I can't wait a year so my father um taught us how to be persistent he was ridiculous with it if he wanted to talk to me and I didn't answer the phone I would look at my phone Tina and I would have 20 missed calls 30, he would call, 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 call. And I would say, dad, these people, he said, call them back. 
call him back, but be kind, call him back. And I just kept calling until Tina, they got sick of me without a doubt. And I would say things like, do you have a, do you have a child? Wow. I would say, please help me. My child's living in hell. I have to help them. Please help me help my son, please. I'll, I won't call out. I won't be late. I'll do better than the lady ahead of me on the wait list, please. And they heard me and I bugged this lady, God bless Kim Walker. <laughs> she took my calls and she finally, I remember the day, Tina, she said, fine, Miss Owens, I'll be there tomorrow morning. And I was like, all right, okay, cool. And she showed up and I don't know how tall she is. She might be six foot, six <laughs> foot. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to play with her. She <laughs> seems like she means business. And she said, um, are these all his toys? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, does he play with them? I said, no. She said, bag them up in a trash bag right now. And I was like, she goes, get him out of here. Mm-hmm. And um, he can have five, put him up there. He doesn't get one without asking and he doesn't get another one till he's picked up the other one. And I was like, Haha, wait till she meets this kid. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She said, if you don't follow everything, what we say, mm-hmm. and if you say yes to him, but it means no, or you say no, and then go back on it and say, yes, we're done with you. We're leaving. And she said, but if you follow what we tell you, Mm -hmm. your child will be different. And that was the only hope I had. And from that moment, I was all in. And I'm just going to real brief describe when I saw what behavior therapy looked like. She said, can he say water? I said, yes, he can say water. But his, his communication, he could label things. He could say water, dog, TV. But he wouldn't say it functional. It, it wasn't like he was asking for water. He didn't have. It was the communication piece that's missing. So she, I said, yes, he can say water. She said, great. He doesn't get any till he says it. Yeah. So for two hours, he was uh, uh, clawing at my legs, banging at my legs, crying. uh, uh, And I would hold the cup down to him and pull it back. It's water. And she would say, don't stop. Uh, uh, Tantruming. And finally, after two hours, he said, water. And we gave him the water and we gave him the Skittles and we gave him uh, the iPad and my soul and whatever it was and celebrated that he worked. Hmm. From there it was on. He worked for everything. Wow. And anything he needed, he had to ask. He had to use his words or, or sign more or Um, show me in a picture on a picture board no more uh, uh, uh. yeah and it looks mean tina for anybody that you know has seen behavior therapy it looks mean Mm. uh the beginning looked mean my family was not bought in Mm. 
My family was not bought in and they weren't bought in until, you know, three months in. We were at my grandparents and he walked over to the table and we were all sitting there having um, coffee, all of us ladies. And he said, donut. Wow. And everybody was like, did he just ask for a donut? And that's all it took for everybody else. And it was 30 hours a week in home. And I want to be clear. I think he was so successful because of the way that behavior company ran what they did. They did not work with him for 30 hours a week. They worked with me because I'm the one that's going to spend my life with him. I better know, not him. And I think all parents and families, they want a magic key. Like here, we'll fix your kid. Or mm -hmm. here, me and your kid are going to work together. Yes, that can be great. Your kid can do great or your individual can do great with that provider and then be terrible for you. Mm -hmm. That was not what they taught me. They taught me success. So they said, Waylon banged his head 70 times an hour, Tina, mm -hmm. 70 times an hour. He was banging his head and this six foot tall woman. Now, when he would bang his head, I would rush over there. Oh, the human reaction. Don't bang your head, baby, please. He started doing it in front of her. She said, mom, turn around. I turned around. She said, don't look at him. I said, yes, ma'am. He stopped. She came over to me. She said, guess what he did when you turned around? I said, mm. what? She said, he lifted his head to look to see if you were looking. Oh. Guess what happened when I started ignoring it? He stopped. It went away. Bye. Mm. We extinguished. A behavior. Wow. And, you know, I prayed so hard, Tina. I said, God, please, I need him to have a voice. And, you know, with diagnosis and them coming in and all the therapies and all the work, I had two goals. My goal was I didn't want anyone to hurt him because that's a I don't know if you know that. That's a big thing for mm. uh, individuals on the spectrum. Mm. They be abused because wow. they don't have a voice to yeah. say someone's hurting them. Mm. And I was terrified of that. Um, because really, for a parent with a child with autism, we have to trust that everybody that we send our kid with yeah. It's wonderful because they can't tell us, Tina. Mm -hmm. So I was not willing to allow that to happen to him. So I said, please, God, I want him to have a voice to tell me if someone's hurting him. And my other prayer was, I don't want to change diapers for the rest of my life. Yeah. Those were my two goals. And within a year, one year of therapy, both of those came true. Oh my gosh. Both of those. 
and he has not hushed since he began speaking. <laughs> and how old is he now? He's nine. Nine. That's amazing. And what's the day in the life now with Waylon? Um, well, he, um, I'm going to be honest. I'm a pusher. I run that little man hard. He mm -hmm. has a busier schedule than I do. <laughs> day in the life. Um, you know, I'm really lucky. My mom retired mm. to help us have Waylon have a great life. And it, every bit takes three adults, four adults to run these kids um, successfully. So my mother picks them up at 10 past seven. Speech therapy is at 7.30. Summer school, um, extended school year, which I had to fight for, Tina, starts at 8.30, uh, goes till 12. My mom, that's in uh, on Colonial Boulevard. We're in Benita. So speech is in Estero, Benita to Estero to Colonial Boulevard. Then my mom drives back up to Colonial Boulevard at noon, brings him to behavior therapy. Behavior therapy is 12 to five. My mom drives back up to Colonial at five. Waylon gets home about six. And by then, it's all he can do to, you know, go for a swim in the pool, have some dinner, and he's ready for bed. Yeah. And OT is mixed in there over the week, and he has quite a schedule. Mm -hmm. But I only have so much time to help make him the best him. Yeah. And I'm going to utilize every therapy, every opportunity every anything that I can get for him that can improve his quality of life I will no matter what the cost yeah no matter what the cost no matter I love this so much because we can learn so much not only like how to be a parent right how to be a grandparent but also um how to be a leader in your business too. And I was thinking about, man, could you imagine if you hired a coach like that, that could help you to hit your goals? Cause I know so many times, you know, people will hire me, but then they just don't listen to the directions or the consulting that you have. And then you're, they're in, you know, coaching or therapy. Let's talk about therapists. They're in it for years. And I think sometimes it's because they hired the wrong therapist or they hired the wrong coach. And so why, why would you be in it for that long with the same exact therapist or coach if you're not growing, right? Absolutely. Tina, you listen, you can keep going around the mountain yeah. as many times as you want right. for the rest of your life, or you can get brave and climb it. Either way, it is just going to keep coming back around till you're ready to face it and do the hard stuff. And really, half the time, the climb isn't as bad. We make it bad in our head. And it, you know, you can keep going around the mountain or you can go over it. Exactly. You decide. How has this made you a better leader in your salon business? And, and I love the quote, face it and do the hard stuff. <laughs> that was big. <laughs> face it. Yeah. 
Uh, I think it's made me, a, my coach, my business coach has made me a better leader without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I think I was a good leader before, but he's made me a much better leader. Um, you know, his name is Steven Gomez. I love Stephen Gomez. Oh my gosh, Tina. <laughs> While yeah. he coached me, he battled and won a fight against pancreatic cancer. Yes. And nothing's yeah. nothing is by accident, right? No. So I'm going through this like this kind of stuff. Like oh. I go, I can't tell Steve about that. Yeah. He He's going to say, uh, well, I got cancer. Cancer trumps. I can't. It made me, and he has no time for baloney. Right. None. So if I know old boy has no time for my baloney, no time for my excuses, I can't waste that man's time while he's battling. I better suit up, show up, and have my work done. Yeah. Have those like conversations that I'm afraid to have that I really just make up in my head that are going to be scary. Yeah. It's way better when I just do the hard work and stop making it up in my head. Exactly. And, and you've been prepared for this from day one, you know, with your life. And so it's prepared you for this moment that you're in. And that's why you're such a great leader. And, and I love this so much. And so let's fast forward now. Uh, why did you start this nonprofit, the Sensory Safe Salon? So you can actually go to thesensorysafesalon.org to find out more about this nonprofit that you have. Absolutely. You can go on there. There is, you can sponsor a haircut. You can sponsor an education, but let me tell you why I created it. So I get into this autism world and I start meeting these families and I said, Oh, is that your daughter? And they said, no, it's our son hair down all the way his backside. And they know I'm a salon owner. So they feel like they go, we can't go in salons. I go, why can't you go in salons? They said, we get kicked out. Um, where, you know, Timmy acted out and they kicked us out and we're not welcome. Then another mom said, I can't go through the trauma of holding my child down. And she said, I'm cutting their hair. I'm cutting his hair at night while he's sleeping. And it's like, mm. and a mullet before mullets came back around yeah. the second time I'm seeing crude haircuts I'm seeing and then what did it for me was that same little guy that I said is that your daughter I said what happened what, what happened and they said Kate you didn't know that's the official haircut of autism shaved wow. down to the nub uh, wow. you know, what I mean? Tina, I thought, ew, ew, that was it for me. That was it. I said, no, Yeah. I can, I can do better. My team can do better. Let's create a safe space. Let's create a space where moms like me don't feel bad that their, their child is making a noise 
or flapping yeah. or doing something that doesn't look socially appropriate. And I'll tell you, Tina, as families, well, let me just speak for myself. I feel bad. I feel so judged. No, you know what? I used to feel so judged because I would feel the eyes on me when Waylon was having such a hard time and people not know that it is autism's like an invisible disability. He doesn't look like there's anything. He looks neurotypical. So people would say to me, oh, that big boy needs a spanking. Wow. You know, we would get kicked out of places. I wanted to create a safe space where families could come in, be themselves. And how can we help make the process easier? And I used the stuff, the, the techniques. I used behavior techniques to be able to allow that individual to get a salon service with dignity. Yeah. That means not screaming, being held down where it's their choice. Their choice, the individual's choice, how, when, and where we're going to create it. It's going to get done, but it's not going to look like everybody else's haircut. So we started doing that right after Waylon's diagnosis. We've done hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of these haircuts. We've gotten better as the time goes on. And I was invited to Developmental Disability Day 2023 in Tallahassee. Mm. So I get up to the Senate and the House of Representatives and it, it actually inspired this green suit. Because <laughs> um, everybody else was in black and I was like, uh -huh. <laughs> um, I was there with, you know, senators and house representatives and all these movers and shakers lawmakers you know and I felt like I knew so little in that part of disabilities and on my way home driving those five hours six hours I was like have I done enough in my own lane and the answer was no yeah I've done haircuts in Bonita you know people have driven from Miami to come get these haircuts. Astero, Cape Coral, Fort Myers, you know, Marco. But have I truly done enough in my lane? And the answer was no. So um, as of right now, there is no curriculum whatsoever for a salon owner, a stylist, a barber, a, a you know, massage therapist, a nail tech, an esthetician to provide services with dignity. We've looked it up in the Cosmo books and I believe it might say, there will be people with disabilities. You'll have to do your services different. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. So not only is it hard for the individual, hard for the family, it's hard on the stylist. Mm -hmm. They don't wanna traumatize anybody. They don't want to have to pin a kid down or an individual down. And, you know, so I wrote the curriculum. We've done it for five years here at my shop. We wrote the curriculum. 
on how to provide it safely, safer for the stylist, safer for the barber, safer for the individual, safer for the families. And we wrote the curriculum. So we provide haircuts for the community of autism, sensory processing, related disabilities. And we have a space now that provides education for salon professionals. We can educate you in two hours to be a sensory safe certified stylist or a salon. And I've taught this class a couple of times at some hair schools. And what I've shared is, you know, some stylists are out for the glamour of being a hairdresser, that Instagram picture. And if, and if that's, you know, one of them, great. But if you learn one thing from what I taught and you can help the stylist next to you, you can help your cousin's baby, your best friend's baby, someone ends up with autism in your family and you can pull two tips and tricks taught from me out of your back pocket to add quality to someone else's life, boom. Then my time was well spent. Those two hours are worth it. Amazing. And so <laughs> this class is best in person, as you said, but it can also be done via Zoom for those who can't get into Florida. To, yes, well, you wouldn't want to go to Florida, especially in the wintertime, right? <laughs> and I will tell you, Tina, we have two upcoming events. We have one event that's going to be in Fort Myers in the same plaza as you, Tina, uh, 820 and 821. We are auditioning national educators for the Sensory Safe Salon. Love it. We welcome you Love from it. anywhere you are in the country. All you have to do is get to Fort Myers. Your accommodations will be paid for by the Sensory Safe Salon. Wow. We will train you and audition you 820-821. If you're interested in becoming a national educator, please email me. My email is on sensorysafesalon.org. And then the next event we have is 828 in Fort Myers. And we will be certifying stylists. Wow. Anybody that wants to take our course, we're going to be offering a 10 to 12 or a two to four here in Fort Myers. And to sign up, you just have to email me. Amazing. I love this so much. Oh my gosh, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for starting this. And I remember speaking to some of my students in the past that have kids that are autistic and one of them even started her own like mobile salon so that she could go to people's homes to be able to help. And, and I didn't really have any way to help her. And so now we have this resource, which is absolutely incredible. And I know our uh, cosmetology schools across the nation are jumping on this. And so thank you for opening our eyes of the need and being aware and which is really huge. And so what's one last piece of advice that maybe you haven't told anybody yet, but you've been dying to tell somebody how to be, how or why to be courageous? How? Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. 
I say it all the time, the Nike slogan, mm -hmm. just do it. Don't even think about it mm. and do it afraid. Yeah. yeah. Do it afraid. Doesn't matter how long you wait, you're still going to be scared then. Do it afraid. Yeah. Do it anyway. I love that. Yeah. The reason why I love that is because I know sometimes when you think too much, then you're not going to do it. <laughs> so just jump. Without a doubt, jump. Yeah. Beautiful, Kate. I love you. Thank you for being on the podcast. You're absolutely amazing. I appreciate you. We'll talk soon because I know we're going to be taking your course real soon. So yeah, thank you. Yes. God bless you. Bye-bye, Kate. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.